everybody welcome to the 256th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man say just uh done playing uh wreck in nba 2k since it was double xp in the wreck it started on saturday morning and it was supposed to end at midnight didn't end at midnight and kept going throughout the day so i think i put in 12 hours of blood sweat and tears on the herbert jones build that i have in 2k for our listeners before we get into anything for our listeners who may not be familiar with the new orleans pelicans talk about your love affair for herb jones because i feel like at least 20 percent of our texts are you <laughs> saying did you see what herb just did or oh my god i'm in love like who is herb and why? what is the infatuation? How has he became the apple of your pelican's eye? My first Facebook post to know for like five months was me retweeting or sharing a Herb Jones three-pointer. So um, I'm kind of obsessed with him. But he is a uh, second-round pick. He is a all-SEC defender. and From Bama. And from Bama. And SEC Player of the Year. So senior coming into the league is already a top 10 point of attack defender and getting that out of the second round is hugely important. So I always have a thing with players. If they're one jump shot away from greatness, I really want them to succeed. And Herb Jones, I think is that level of player where he's one jump shot away from at least being a PJ Tucker, super six man, or, you know, a PJ Tucker role player, but amazing defender. And, that's why I built my build and called it the Herb Jones build. He's an amazing defender. Uh, my guy can can shoot the corner three, dunk with anybody, and, and play make. He's he's he does it all. So the Herb Jones build and Herb Jones. If you're into really good defense, check out the New Orleans Pelicans and watch Herbert Jones lock up your favorite player. Kind of sounds like a small forward version of a Matisse Thibel. I mean, really how you described him, because Matisse came out of Washington as a senior Pac-12 defensive player of the year. There was a lot of people knew what you were going to get. Like they didn't mm-hmm. think he had like the incredible ceiling, but that floor was pretty high. And by damn, three years in the league, Matisse Thibel's, uh, he's got he's going to be a perennial first team all, all defender. And like those type of players who can stop the ball Really important when Ant Edwards and LaMelo Ball and Steph Curry are running the league, you need somebody to stop them. So to have somebody like a Herb Jones or a a Matisse, I think Matisse was better as, like, I thought he was going to be a zone all-time great. I didn't see the the point of attack skill set that uh, he has. But Herb Jones is just like, you put him on your, your, the best player and watch him work. Like, I watched the Brooklyn Nets Pelican game and he he stripped KD and I'm like, you don't you don't put a rookie on Kevin Durant and have him succeed very much. So to see Herb Jones do his thing has been really fun to watch. And since the Pelicans have won two games, it's been a lot of losing. So you have to look at you know the young guys that you have and be like, okay, her, I, I I fuck with Herb Jones. Let's let let's focus on Herb. And not on our awful defense and awful spacing and awful everything else. 
before we get into the the trailblazers aspect of this trailblazers centric podcast we have a pretty probably the biggest food holiday of the year coming up within the next week or so so i want to devote the next two episodes a little little food talk so not just the savory but the sweet and i want to get into the sweet sage Thanksgiving's known for pumpkin pie, right? Okay. As a connoisseur of desserts, as you are, like I am, give me. I'm not really a connoisseur of desserts. You just give me desserts and I'll eat them. I consider that a connoisseur. Like you enjoy it. Okay. Like that, that's what it is. So give me your, your top three pies for any time or just Thanksgiving. You, it can, it can be both. Maybe just what you're feeling at the moment. I, I, I fucks with a banana cream pie. I, yes, <laughs> I fucks sir. with a chocolate cream pie <laughs> <laughs> and a sweet potato uh, pie or a pumpkin pie. Oh, okay. Yeah. But those are obviously banana cream pie. Like we are on the same, same level. That's always has been number one. Uh, I, I'd probably be like lemon meringue up there as well. And pecan pie. Like I, me and Olga made one a couple a few years ago when it turned out wonderful. And we tried to replicate it twice since, and it just was an absolute disaster. So we kind of just scrapped it. We're like, it's just not in the cards. It's not for us. It's really expensive to buy all those pecans. And this is a lot, it's a lot of labor. It's a labor of love. We're ordering out for Thanksgiving this year. And one of the local bakeries had a pecan pie and Olga was naming off the pies that they were able to uh, sell. And I heard that. I was like, I want that. She's like, I knew you were going to say that. So I I love a good pecan pie. Like also like chocolate cream, coconut cream, marion berry, like pies are just exquisite. I we've talked about so many cream pies for an episode. Why, Why is, why is, I mean, this this episode isn't sponsored by Brazzers, Sage. I mean, come on, man. Uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll talk about savory next week. I have way I have way more things to talk about savory than that's okay. Like you always hit me up, like, hey, do you see what the new DQ Blizzard is? Like, so yeah. I thought- well, I I'm really lactose intolerant, so it's like I can't eat this, but you can eat this. So it's one of those like, oh, I'll watch you. I'll I'll pretend that I'm watching you eat this DQ blizzard when it would destroy me. What is a food that will destroy you, but you'll risk it for the biscuit? This is you were going to think less of me and that's fine. Um, so once a month, I try and treat myself with a McDonald's McFlurry and it it fucks me up good. But it's my little treat that I give myself. Over a Dairy Queen Blizzard, McDonald's is closer. Uh, that's okay. I, that, I, I, okay, that, I was I was thinking it was a location based decision. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, like once a month, I'll just actively get myself sick and then be be, be better in a day. Do you go same flavor or do you mix it up? Uh, McFlurries only really have the Ships Ahoy Oreo or M and M, so I try and mix it with between the cookies. Okay, that, that's fair. All right. All that's, right. It's more I know. More I know about you. You know, we've been podcasting for what, six years now? Yeah. And- well, <laughs> some some fan said, you know, you talk about basketball, but you rarely talk about yourself. I'm like, now, you know, uh, dairy and lactose really wrecks my friend here. So the, the more you know, 
Kevin and I talk about this almost monthly where where we uh we talk about how ice cream just fucks us up it's like a monthly meeting between Neela Kevin and I about our lactose intolerance all right before we get into the good the bad and the ugly a quick rundown of the week that was in trailblazer basketball it was a four game road trip that did not treat the Trailblazers kindly at all. It started off with a loss on national television to the Los Angeles Clippers, 117 to 109. Portland had to go to Phoenix on the the second night of a back-to-back facing a red-hot Phoenix Suns team, lost 119 to 109 behind a career-high night from Frank Kaminsky. Hmm. Portland picked up their first road victory of the season in Houston against the, the lowly Rockets, but a win is a win is a win. 104-92, and tonight was an absolute dud in the Mile High City against the Denver Nuggets team without Will Barton, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr., 124-95. Sage, the Blazers are at 6-8 in the current, the very young season, but we're almost getting to December now. 6-8, still firmly in the play-in standing area. A lot of basketball left. A lot of home games coming up over the course of this month and next. But before we preview that the the upcoming matchups, let's let's kick it off. What was your good for the week? I, I think we have the same thing. It's our young guns being able to shine in situations where you didn't really think that they were, like Nasir against the Rockets and Ant playing well throughout. You know the. The time that he's been playing so yeah this week it's been the young guns uh playing really well yeah i mean it's 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 you the blazers go one and three they're now one and seven on the road it's 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 hard to find something good right now but i think nasir little is that that bright spot that silver lining you know a player that dropped to portland i believe it was to 25 in the 2020, uh, excuse me, the 2019 draft. And I think you're just now starting to see why he was a, you know, a unanimous five-star recruit MVP of the McDonald's all American game. I believe he was MVP of the Jordan brand classic as well, really as a high school senior in that same breath as a Zion Williamson. And now I, I would say he and Ant are arguably the, the most important players off the bench and that he's really elevated himself. I mean, you look at the last two, two games, 28 minutes and 29 minutes uh, against Houston and Denver respectfully. So you can see he's got the attention of the coaches, the trusting of the staff, and he's going out there. They're letting him play through mistakes. And he's also rewarding the team with his energy, his hustle, and his just his, his, yeah, his overall prowess, you know, on, on the defensive end. When I'm, when I'm listening to games, a lot of times you're hearing Nasir Little's name, like coming out of nowhere, grabbing a rebound, blocking a shot, uh, finishing with authority. I mean, the, the Houston game, he had two incredible dunks on the break, one in the first half, one in the second half. And Portland really hasn't had somebody that can just finish like that on the break. I mean, Gerald Wallace was a little bit past his prime when he got here. Uh, it, it might be Jerome Kersey is the last like small forward we've had that just got out on the break and you knew just to hold your breath because there was going to be a, a sports center top 10 play 
So it's been really great to see Nasir do it really on both ends of the floor too. He's not shy about getting in there and, and scrapping it up. I mean, career high 14 boards against Houston. And, and I would argue Sage without Nasir Little's performance that they don't, they don't beat the Houston Rockets. Like he's, he's gumming in there and he's really inserting himself as basically a, a spark because a trend I've noticed with the Blazers, especially on the road, is they get out to these slow starts over the first six or seven minutes. And it's not until Anthony Simons or Nasir gets in there that they finally get their footing and kind of bounce back and punch back. I, you know, I was following the game, listening to it also on Twitter, and everyone's like, here we go again. Houston jumps out to a seven, 10 point lead. Nasir comes in, and I think like everything kind of calms down. So I'd be interested to see if his role continues to increase because even in an inconsistent season, I think you're getting a lot of consistency from two of the you know most green players on, on the roster, quite frankly, in Anthony and Nasir. Yeah, and <clears throat> Nasir was competing for with some jumpers for those uh some leapers for the uh the rebounds, like Kevin Porter can get up, Jalen Green can get up. Christian Wood can get up and wow, he was passive, but you know, a, a shining star that I think probably didn't get that much love in that Houston game was Robert Covington because he played really good defense on, uh, on Christian Wood. Like I remember saying last week, I'm going to be aggressively playing Christian Wood in daily fantasy. I did that. And Robert Covington put up a fight and made Christian Wood shoot threes. So it, it was really cool to see Robert at least play defense like you're used to seeing. Against Aaron Gordon, it wasn't very, you know, like Aaron got what he wanted. But against Christian Wood, who I think is the better player, dude dude pushed him around. Dude was really physical, made Christian not want to play in the post. It was, it was good to see Robert play some good defense again. And one last point on on Nasir is every time I look at the media guide or ESPN and I see 6'5, you know, 6'5, 220, he plays bigger than 6'5, 220. You would think just by watching him, he's like 6'9, 230. Like, yeah, you would think he is built like a traditional small forward, but he he makes him he like asserts himself. You know what I mean? Like makes himself known out there. Everybody can feel him when he is on the court. So I think it's wonderful for Portland because you're now getting production from first round, the probably the most recent first round picks that Portland has on the roster. How much would you be willing to offer him in open market if he was a free agent now? Nasir Little? Yeah. I mean, I think you'd want to keep him around a $10 million mark. I think he's... So you're getting $10 million of production for... Three, $4 million? Yeah. It's a humongous bargain what we're dealing with. Like, remember last year when Rodney Hood wasn't... Was $10 million worth, but not... Nasir Little is producing at that salary level and is doing it for such a bargain that it's, you know, it's a huge cost saving since we're so damn top-heavy. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you even look at players on our own roster. I mean, I know you mentioned Robert Covington playing well against Houston, but Rocco makes 12. I think Larry Nance makes 11. I'd argue Nasir's better than both right now. Yeah, right now. And I think having Nasir in, I think both of us were, were pretty high on him early on and we're aware of what he could do if given a larger role. 
that was one of the reasons why I wasn't really buying into the Larry Nance trade. Like on paper, you give up a first round pick for Larry Nance. Sure, that should work out. But when you have a player like Nasir Little in the wings, you should kind of know what you have, especially as a general manager. And I felt like that first round pick could have been used elsewhere. It's almost like you go back to when Portland lost Wesley Matthews. I know they made the trade before they did that in the 14-15 season, but they decided to go for it and trade for Aaron Aflalo when they had Will Barton and CJ McCollum on, on the bench and just waiting, waiting to get their opportunity. CJ did by injury default and really showed the, cap- the, the capabilities that he had and who he would become. So I think that's where you see like the really great organization shine is they have the, for, the they just have the, the, the foresight to see this guy's going to be good. He just needs a, a bigger role, needs an opportunity to grow. Like sometimes you have to just believe in, in, in a player. And I think Nasir is really rewarding uh, everybody in the organization with, with how he's playing. I mean, doesn't it just poo poo the idea of not playing rookies like the Terry Stotts, like, he benches rookies that aren't named Damian Lillard to play vets. Like, I think that's almost all coaches out there who are trying to, to win. Right. It just, it's it, what, what the stigma is like, Oh, this coach never plays the young players. They always go back to what they know. You got to have that risk. I, I remember when it was you, me and Evan McCarthy on this podcast. And I brought up the point. If Popovich was the coach of this team, Zach Collins would play and he would play over Alfred Camino. Now that didn't really turn out to be, you know, the best example of it, but you got to see what you have in these young players. I know what Tony Snell is. I know what Ben McLemore is. I don't know what Nasir Little is. So you have the most capital in Nasir Little. You probably need to give him the most chance and then trading away another future first for a guy that has not really I don't think he's had a shining moment yet this year. And I know it's very short, uh, short term thing, but Nasir probably should be in instead of Larry Nance, if we're being real about it. But I mean, we just traded a, f- a first round pick for him. So it's like, you got to, re- you know, you really should play him. but. All right. Uh, since we both had the same good, I will drop in a, a good junior. Uh, I would say, hearing that the coaching staff actually got Damian Lillard to rest was good for, for, for this week for me. I know it resulted in almost an automatic defeat against the Denver Nuggets, but watching Dame this year, even, even lately when it seems like he's getting a little bit, you know, back to himself, it still isn't what, what we're all used to with, with Dame and whether it's, it's mental, whether it's stress, whether it's physical, something's going on that that is causing Dame to not produce in the manner at which we're all accustomed to seeing him produce. And he definitely is dealing with, with an abdominal strain. The, the game on, on against the, the Clippers, you saw that he went, he went up for a layup and automatically grabbed it after extending with, with his right arm. And that was a telltale sign. Like if it, if it takes, and this is where I think the Blazers need to think long term. And I know it's tough because everything is so condensed because of the predicament that the, the, the management has put them into where you have to win now. But 
sometimes you just have to take a step back to take a step forward. And I think that that's what's going to happen if Dame finally gets a chance to rest. Because the one thing Portland's not short of is guard talent. So losing Dame for an extended period of time may not be the, the, I think the death sentence that it would have been in the past. Now you never want to lose your best player, but if you can get him healthy for the remaining 50, 55 games of the season, you do it. If he has to take two to three weeks off, okay, you're getting your top 10 player healthy and he can perform like a top 10 player. And by factor, uh, you know, almost like, an added bonus, Anthony now gets to start. And all of those young players start to get more uh, of a role. CJ can assert himself as the alpha. You got Norman Powell, who's probably going to get more touches, which which he needs. And, and then I think everyone just kind of elevates their play because it's not like, oh, I can kind of maybe step off the gas a little bit because we have, have Lillard and he could handle it. No, now you have to handle it, you know? So I, I, I thought that was good and... I know Dame's stubborn. I know he's old school. I, I know he probably is from the, the 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 mindset of there's difference between pain and injury. And while I would agree with that, if your pain is impacting your performance, it, it's it's best for both parties to just let it heal. Uh, so I thought that was a that was my good junior for. So you brought up Ant starting. If you were the coach of the Blazers would you have Ant be the third guard that's starting or would you put a Nasir Little in and make it a little bit more? If, if, I, if I was the coach, I mean, I've been preaching this for, for a long time now. The Blazers need size. They need balance. I, I would start. They're, they're never going to bench CJ, so I'm not even going to throw that. CJ starts at the one. He is known to get triple doubles, a lot of assists when he's when he's running the show. Let Norman move to his traditional two-guard spot. He is a really good shooting guard. He has good size for that position. And then you put Nisir at the three. He's got good size. He plays bigger than his size. He, he can handle small forwards. And then I think Ant can definitely be part of the finishing five, but you don't really take him out of his role right now. Like He's being really in a good comfort zone as a as the sixth man off the bench he's coming in there he's scoring i don't think his or excuse me i don't think nasir's game gets impacted by starting or coming off the bench as much as anfernee's would because right like now now as a starting point guard anfernee's like oh like how do you how do you start a game right like do, do you attack the defense do you have to feel it out like it it is a it is a game of chess and that's what makes the great floor generals so magnificent because they know exactly who needs to get the ball, when to be assertive. And you're, you're asking Anthony to kind of almost switch, switch gears coming from as a gunner off the bench to maybe you need to set up your teammates. So that that's a really tough transition for Simons to succeed. So I would keep Anthony as that sixth man, move Nasir into the starting position, balance out the roster, get, get more size. And um, I think it will be more beneficial for, for the team. Yeah, and even, you know, I hate this this player because of what he is good and not good at. But if you didn't want to impact Nasir's role, a guy like Tony Snell won't take the buckets of, or chances away from, you know, Norm and CJ and Yusuf. So even putting that and having the size and then keeping Nasir in his role, I think is a better thing than letting Ant have a lot more pressure when, 
he may not be ready to have the starting caliber one pressure put on him when he's succeeding in his role as the six man. So even though I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of his game, it's like he's not going to take any shots away and he'll, he'll play decent defense and shoot if he's wide open. So yeah, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the three yard lineup without Damian Lillard, but we're, we're not the coach. So I guess he wants to run the, the three guard lineup and um, yeah, that's, it, it's something. Um, what is your bad for the week? So where's Neil? We haven't talked about where's Neil. Is he the ugly? He's ugly. Okay. Well, this one's going to be fun. Uh, the the bad was Ant, Anthony Simons and Nasir Little getting blocked by Eric Gordon in the Houston game. And, and that, that is a personal bad for you. Not just <laughs> that is, more the, that is the worst bad for me. Like, God damn it. Your jump's so high. Why are you letting this old man block you? Will you give our audience just a little backstory about your disdain for Eric Gordon? Because I think it, it's it, it's pretty random for maybe some of our newer listeners. I'm a fan of the New Orleans Hornets. We talked about that. Um, when they traded Chris Paul, uh, Eric Gordon played one game and then didn't play the rest of the year because of a very bruised knee. He uh, went knee to knee with Grant Hill. Um, in the offseason, he was a restricted free agent. Dale Dumps, the general manager at the time, said, we're going to resign you, so uh, be sure to recover your knee. And he didn't do that and wanted to sign somewhere else after we traded a generational Phoenix. point. He wanted guard. to go to Phoenix. Yeah, he, wa- yeah, he wanted to go to Phoenix. Dale Dumps said, no, you're staying here. So he refused to rehab his knee, lost all athleticism, and was a huge drain on the Pelicans or Hornets at the time uh, salary. So he will forever be my enemy, but I did play him a lot in DFS. So, but yeah, like, I mean, it, it was amazing to me as like learning that at like 24, someone would actively ruin your career despite a franchise. And it just was like, it put a bad taste in my mouth and I'll always root against him. So when I saw, my young guns, Nasir Little, and Anthony Simons get blocked by Eric Gordon. It, whew, I, I posted a sad panda gif on the, uh, on my Twitter, and I was just like, nah, this, this, this is bad. I, like Eric Gordon drove it on our defense and got layups. Like that, that's how bad our defense was that game. I'm shocked we won, but seeing, seeing him just block two athletic freaks just. I've got a bad and another bad junior. And, and the reason I, I have two is my bad is a rollover for, from last week. It, it is the, the, the road woes continue in for Rip City. A one in three road trip, one in seven on the road, which is the second worst road record in the entire NBA. That one victory coming against maybe one of the two worst teams in the NBA in the Houston Rockets. Uh, and the games, frankly, haven't been close on the road. The average margin of defeat's been 14 and a half. Portland's just getting torched, allowing 114 points per game. I was digging through the record books of the, the media guide to see, like, where is Portland, like, like tracking? So, historic, I looked post-championship season, post-77, because obviously with an expansion team, you get really, really bad, really bad teams. So I looked post 77, 
six and 35 was the worst road record of all time. That was uh, the 05, 06 season. I, I, I don't think it gets that bad for Portland on the road, but that's, that's the number that they have to surpass. But I will say that there is some light at the end of the tunnel for Portland through the calendar year. There's 22 games left. 15 of those are at home. Portland's been a fantastic home team. So if they can just figure out this road stuff, they might be in the thick of things in what I would consider a slightly down Western conference. Um, But they have to figure it out on, on the road stage. I mean, today it was just like, I knew that we were losing because of the effort that was shown. Like CJ, when he's the lead guy, looks like the lead guy, but he was deferring too much. He wasn't really getting to his spots. It was a lot of rush shots. He didn't bend the defense the way that he would against. I wasn't in Atlanta where he triple doubled. Yep. Yeah. Like it, it, you, you, you could tell that they just didn't have that spark. The only person that had spark. Well, actually I'll get, I'll give Dennis Smith jr. Some credit too, but Nasir little and, and Dennis seemed to have that, like, we need to win this game type of mentality. So it, it was just like kind of shocking to see how bad we looked against a, a team missing three starters. In a team that handed us our lunch in the first round uh, last year. So my bad junior for the week is Chauncey Billups going away from Norman Powell in that, in that Clipper game. Uh, Norman Powell finally looked like himself in that Los Angeles Clipper game. He was on fire. They were getting him in situations where he was given going with Nurk, hitting threes, getting fouled in the corner, especially looking explosive off the dribble and getting to his spots. He is a, he is a thick guard. He can finish with the best of them. And you've brought this up multiple times. He Chauncey Billups will sit Norman Powell and sit Norman Powell and sit Norman Powell and not bring him back into the game until he's ready for that rotation where you have to ride the hot hand, especially on the road. And Norman Powell was never seen from again. It was a and lot your of star players struggling and CJ McCollum's had an off week as well. So having the consistency of Norman Powell in that Clippers game would have been huge. It's been Norman Powell came over at the trade deadline. I never felt like he got comfortable in Portland. It still doesn't feel like he's comfortable or I I just, I don't pick up that vibe that Norman Powell is initiated in this offense. He's not. It it could be that it's the three guard lineup. It could be that Damon CJ take the majority of the shots. I I don't know what it is. Well, I think Chauncey Billups and his rotations also fuck up because this was a player who was the hottest shooting guard in the league when we acquired him and yes i know players can go on streaks but he was putting up like he had a couple 40 point games in toronto like obviously as a shooting guard and we we get him here and it's almost like we freeze him out I, i just i don't really recall norman powell ever getting like ending the game with the most shots taken and i'm not saying it should happen every time but he he's a talented guard who you're who you locked up five years, 18 million a year. Like he's not just some fringe starter. Like he was a big coup to resign this offseason. And you're just not 
playing to his strengths. And I would I mean, say Chauncey that, that Billups was... has been it like it's it, it's like he just doesn't like Norman Powell. There there's times when he'll bring Tony Snell in and whoever, and it's like this is a perfect lineup to put Norman Powell in. There's one guard that also can handle the ball, so it'd be like Ant, Norman, Nasir, Tony Snell, and Zeller. But they, the, I don't think that they try and fit him into lineups where he can succeed a lot. I feel like Chauncey Billups is doing him really dirty with this. They're just awful rotations, man. What is your ugly for the week? Neil O'Shea, just the, him fighting for his job is going to have repercussions that are a lot bigger than we are thinking right now. Because if he's, if he said, okay, I had a wonderful nine years in Portland, I'm ready to move on. We could have a new general manager here and we can make some serious decisions now, but he's in a fight for his job and kick and scream. So we can't make those decisions now. So it's, it's really delaying the inevitable and is really messing up what we can do at the deadline. Like, let's I, say I, for whatever, I, I don't know what Blazers ownership is, but like with the Saints and Pelicans, the Bensons don't like paying coaches to coach against them. So they, they ride it out until they're done and then just leave. You saw it with uh, Monty. You saw it with Alvin Gentry. So I kind of get it like, okay, unless it's a complete fuck up like Stan Van Gundy, they're going to ride with this coach until, you know, they just don't like paying coaches to coach against them. I don't know if that's the case with us, but if let's say ownership's like, well, we have to keep Chauncey for at least a few more years. That means that some decisions that I think need to be made. If Chauncey's going to be the coach, I'm trading use of Nurkic. If Chauncey Billups our coach, he does not fit. For Neil to just be like, I'm fighting for my job. Some of these decisions are we're we're losing leverage in some of these decision makings that need to be need to be made. Like, Yusuf has a chance at making some serious money, but if Chauncey Billups is the head coach, there's no way I'm giving him that money. He's just going to play 23 minutes. Yeah, um, that was Jason Quick that reported that Neil O'Shea is not interested in 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 resigning or taking a buyout my ugly for the week the vibes just everything around the organization the vibes are bad uh portland some, everything is off there there's bad juju and it's a litany of things so it's not just one thing that you can pinpoint to um you know i, I have a, a whole list of things where i'll start with Olshay because that's that's where you uh left off so there's a few troubling aspects here that, that have come out, especially with the reporting that Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports is doing, right? He is referencing that Neil O'Shea is still allowed at the practice facility. Even after all of these complaints have been going on for 10 years, even by current employees of the practice facility, that all of the employees there, he's still allowed to roam around there. Like that is some serious misconduct by the, the Blazers and, and their HR. Like that should not happen. If you have an employee under these serious of allegations and being investigated, they need to be like on administrative leave or sabbatical 
or stay the fuck as far away from the people who you are invoking a toxic work environment. Like that's why there is this outside investigation because of a toxic work environment be provided by Neil Olshay. So I think that is incredibly telling. That was the most telling thing that, that I read all week long was that he's still allowed to be, his presence was to be felt inside the practice facility. I mean, I, I think, I mean, the, the, the moment in time that every Blazer fan is thinking of is the day we found out that Paul Allen passed away. Love him or hate him, Paul Allen was invested. He was involved. He cared. Constantly checking in with, with the general manager, being there on draft day, willing to open up his, his pocketbooks to, to bring a winner to Portland. Deeply cared about what the fans wanted to see and really just took pride in being the guy for the Portland Trailblazers. Jody Allen, by no fault of her own, inherited that. So she now is just a, a name. She probably doesn't care about basketball, doesn't care about football, wants to do her own thing. But yeah, it's another thing on my to-do list. Oh, I got a meeting with Neil Shea. Fine, whatever. Like, just, just get it off my plate. Like, I don't want to deal with it. And that's, I, I don't think the franchise is going to succeed with, I think Portland is essentially in lame duck ownership right now and everything kind of falls from, from the top. And that's where you have Neil O'Shea giving himself contract extensions. You have him sweet talking ownership saying, this is what we should do. And then you get another element, another layer peeled back. The, the, the Friday news dump that was expected to be Neil O'Shea ended up being Blazers president, Chris McGowan, resigns, which kind of took everybody by surprise. And there was again reporting where he went to Jody Allen after Neil O'Shea's just two incredibly awful press conferences in a row and asked twice, can I be the voice of the franchise? I need to stop the bleeding. And he was rebuffed. She said, no, Neil O'Shea is going to continue to do this. That was the second, uh, wildest thing that that really stood out to me this week and just really shed a light into the turmoil that was going on over whether it was the practice facility over at one center court or even up in Seattle with the Vulcans. And I think just even state stating those locations gives an insight into the separation of, of power that, that goes right. You have Jody and Burt Colt all the way up in, in Seattle. You have, you know, Chris McGowan at downtown Portland. And then you have Neil O'Shea, you know, 20 miles south at the practice facility. Like as, as a former employee, the practice facility and the business side couldn't be, there was really no communication between the two. Like the, the business employees had to go down to the practice facility, like myself or Casey, like we went down to the practice facility and, co and covered the basketball aspect. Like, you might send an email, but like, but it's, it's pretty, you know, segmented. So Neil basically has his, his time to roam and do whatever he wants. And, you know, all of these reports coming out of how he's, you know, treating people, I, I believe 60 employees and uh, players have been interviewed. I remember reading this week and I, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint where it was before we recorded, but there was a mention that he was, yelling and prof 
profanity, you know, lace tirades against the coaching staff during games, like while on the bench. So that's that that's that's pretty telling if that if that is to be true and just shows the level of of dysfunction. And and I, I think it's really trickling down to the players. I know Jason Quicks had pieces that saying that Chauncey Billups is is shielding the players from all this. I don't, I don't think anybody can shield anyone from this. Like there's just an aura. There's like a constant black cloud, a rain cloud following anybody associated with this franchise. And Sage, you can see it in, in their body language. There, there, there's no enthusiasm on the court. This uh, year, there's, there's no high fives. There's no just camaraderie. You look at Chauncey Billups, his body language is awful on the sidelines. Just, kind of sulking, leaning back a bit. Like when the players made a mistake, he just like, he, you could, I, I saw, I saw him mouth. So I was watching the TNT feed caught some really good replays. And I, it was, I think somebody fouled on a three point shot and he just like, look, he's like, we've talked, like we talked about this. What are you doing? Like, I, I just don't think the team is responding to the energy that he is putting out there. I think Portland really needs some positivity from the, the leadership and, and they're just not getting it. You know, Sage, we've talked about this for, for years, like the franchise is heading at to a fork and sooner or later, they're going to have to make a decision. This year was already going to be tough. If you just looked at the basketball aspect of it, you know, with, without the off court drama, you have almost every player impacted differently that can just change the way they they approach the game. CJ McCollum, he can say the trade talks may not impact him, but constantly being involved in in trade rumors or just discussions has to weigh on you. It has to it has to put some sort of pressure on you. You have Anthony Simons who did not get his contract extension, so he is now basically playing on on a prove it deal. You have Yusuf Nurkic, who you alluded to, Robert Covington, both unrestricted free agents. Nurk, this is his chance for his first big payday. Covington, this is probably going to be his last payday. So, right, they are both looking to get those important contracts to set them up financially. And that's not even discussing Damian Lillard in his uncertain future. Like, he's saying all the right things, but you don't really know. Like, he is now the epicenter of that NBA media storm where is he in, is he out? Is he going to stay? Does he want to stay? Should he leave? Should he go? Should he stay? Like, that's a lot to put on like a veteran head coach. Could you imagine someone who hasn't done this ever? He has zero experience, and it just he has one year of experience. But there's a lot of assistant coaches with like decades that are young that are willing to like. It just shows that we, we the franchise makes these impulsive bad decisions like. I know Neil Ostray wanted a yes man. So that's why Willie Green and Charles Lee and Becky Hammond and fucking all of these good coaches. Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. It, there's, like, there's just, like I said, the vibes, the everything is off. Like I'm even looking on my Twitter timeline. People aren't. People want to watch entertaining and fun basketball. And I, I don't blame, blame them, Sage. Like this is, it's kind of like sucking the soul out of, out of your fandom. And I think for some of us that happened the summer, some of us, it's, it's taking, you know, a, a slow, a slow bleed, so, so to speak. And there's just a, a lack of enthusiasm for 
for the fan base. Like, even if this wasn't happening, even if the coaching search went fine, you still have a roster that I think to a lot of people felt pretty stale that you kind of, you, you knew how, how the movie was going to end, you know, like they, they may have changed the supporting actors and actresses, but the main cast is still there. And we've seen it before. Like it, it was, it's fun. It, it had its, it had its run, but I think a lot of people were, were looking for something different, like a coaching change, a general manager change, and to shake up at the roster. We wanted to see like, what, what, what can we do differently? And, and it hasn't been there. So you just, you factor this and like, I'm seeing people who used to be so enthusiastic, you know, excited for games. Like, Hey, I skipped the game today. Like I, I don't feel bad or man, I'd rather watch this, this Warriors Bulls game on ESPN than Blazers Rockets. And, you know, we're, we're getting to a point that's really reminiscent of, of my um, time with the Blazers. So I worked with the Blazers from 09 to 2014, and I was the only social media person on staff. So doing basically everything for seven accounts. And when you win, you got to crank out the content and you got to do, you know, exclusive content for each channel. And there are a lot of late nights, home games up till, up till 2 AM, like constantly. So that just kind of shines a light into the, the effort that, that goes into taking pride in your work and maintaining that. And when they lose, you don't have to do as much because people want to go on to something else. They don't want to hear from the, they didn't want to hear from you. You lose your bums, whatever. I understood that. So that, I, that was my content strategy. You win, you pump it out, you lose, you chill. That was fine in 2013, 2014, because we were a good team. We had that 13 game win streak. It was Dame's second year. Like they ended up beating the Rockets in the playoffs. Like it was a fun season, but the two seasons um, preceding that 10, 11 and 11, 12 were disastrous for me personally. And it's kind of how I'm starting to see a lot of people feel how I'm feeling where, you know, you don't want to see the team win because a role player made a big shot because what is, is is a meaningless win. And I got to do all this extra work. Obviously with, with the, the lockout shortened season, it was back to back to back games and you had the mutiny with Nate McMillan and is, is Kurt Thomas winning this game? Does it matter that Kurt Thomas won us the game? Raymond Felton had a, it just, it, it's starting to get to that point where, you know, if Dame doesn't do something special or Nas doesn't have a highlight dunk that like you watch the game, you're like, what, what just happened? Did, did anything good happen? Like, eh, I guess. So it's just, it's in that weird period. And that was the transition, right? We had the rise with us era and Brandon and Greg kind of fell off with injuries. And you had LaMarcus with a bunch of role players that wasn't going anywhere. And then you bring in some vets the following lockout year and all hell broke loose, broke loose. And you had, had a new coach. Like I, to me, I have the same vibes now that I did then. And and it's a bummer because like all your enthusiasm is sucked from, from that. So like, I would get angry when the Blazers would win during those two years, because I was like, God damn it. Now I have to stay up later because I can Luke Babbitt hit a chalupa shot and everyone's losing their, their shit. And it didn't make, didn't make a difference. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. So it's like shit or get off the pot blazers. But as you smartly said, Sage, they can't because they can't make a decision with Neil O'Shea and without a general manager, you can't make a trade 
and the clock is ticking up until that trade deadline. So it's a cycle of shit right now. Like what can go wrong is going wrong. And so it's, if you're, you know, listening, thank you so much. Like it's, it's not fun to talk about this, but we have to be realistic. We have to be honest. Like this is the main storyline that's going around with, with the franchise that so many of us have cared about and watched and wanting to see succeed. And it's, it's, it's not, not good right now. And I, I don't know if Portland is going to hit rock bottom this year. Is it going to be next year or is it going to be next week? But, but I, I think that that first shoe that needs to drop stage, I, I, I really think we got to get some resolution on this Neil Olshay because it, it's just, it's just the starting block for everything else that can possibly happen with this team that <clears throat> can change the aura from black to, you know, light blue or whatever. Like it, it, it's, we have to make the Blazers have to make that decision of who is going to be the general manager. And I think like once he's fired, there's going to be at least some, you know, people who are going to be excited about this team. Maybe not the people that back, uh, that back Neil Shave really hard on Twitter, but like, I think the average Blazer fan will be more excited about the team. If, if, and when Neil Shea is gone. And just think about the, like removing your fandom is this an attractive job like if you're there's only 30 of them so in that case yes it is but you have ownership that doesn't seem to really be invested you have a star player who might want out and you may have so the thing yes i know there's only 30 but general managers, when they make a good move, you kind of put that on your resume. Like as a LinkedIn skill set, I traded for Chris Paul. Like that, that, that's, that's, everyone loves that. Well, Neil did it too. <laughs> exactly. And I know he takes a lot of credit for that. That's how he got the Blazer job was out of that move. But if you're a general manager and you get this position and Dame's like, I, I've, I've had enough, I, I need to bounce. That's on your record, whether you like it or not. So 10 years from now, when we look back, not many people are going to say, oh, so-and-so, you know, he stepped into a, or he or she stepped into a really tough situation. Dame said they wanted out. Like it wasn't his fault. doesn't matter. You are going to get credit or blame for, for that move. And so that's something that some candidates might just be like, I'll pass, like I'll wait for something else. So it, it, it could be tougher than we think to get somebody that we're really excited about. But I think honestly, right now, you know, an egg McMuffin would do a better job uh, as general manager. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, you got to think like right now, my number one guy is Charles Lee. Is he going to leave Giannis and head, you know, being the associate head coach to go to Portland with uh, this unstable ass organization? I mean, if he wants to challenge, he will, but. No, it's it's tough. It's a it's a tough decision. I think that just because of the limited uh, jobs, it is. But if somebody has a good job currently, like Charles Lee, why would you leave to come here? I mean, that's that's really sucks to say, but like. Speaking of a potential Damian Lillard situation down the road, whether it's at the deadline or in the summer or, or never. 
Uh, I thought Charles Barkley had a lot of interesting points that he said at, during halftime uh, of that Blazer Clipper game, really referencing himself because he was drafted by Philadelphia almost post Dr. J carried the franchise a bit, but really realized like this was bad boys era. This was MJ. Like he knew the Sixers were not it. And he said the last two years in Philadelphia, he wasn't all in because he knew there was really no chance. Like his teammates weren't good enough. Doesn't mean he wasn't trying, but like, I think when you are, I think when you're on a contending team or you're contending for a championship, there's this extra level of focus and intensity that you bring. Like you're locked in every single night. And when you just know you're not going to be favored every night, when you know what's going to be an uphill climb, it's it's really hard to be locked in like that. It could be the same thing in your own personal job. Like if you're not comfortable. Shit, in NBA 2K, like if if you have three bots on your team and one teammate, it's like, am I really going to put in the effort to lose by 30 instead of 40? Like it, it's tough. And I, I think it's, it's, it, it's really tough because I don't think Dame can get into fifth gear that well. Like if he's driving to the hoop, he's in third or fourth gear. He can't get to that fifth gear where like, remember last year where he would just use his quick first step and blow by any really defender. I don't think he can do that right now. I don't think his ab will let him get into that gear where he's going to get that layup. I think that the rule change has definitely impacted him. Yeah, but I, I think no his abs player, are I also. No impacted. player has had his free throws reduced more than, than Lillard. So you're absolutely correct. Well, and I, I think that part of it is when he could get as fast as he can, he would just blow by him, and then they were forced to foul him. Now he can't get. He can't get the edge for the layup. Now that now it's, you know, uh, Josh Hart is contesting the, the baseline drive instead of last year. Remember when Dame drove it and Gary Trent Jr. was chilling on the corner and Josh Hart had to make a decision. Do I stop the dunk or do I defend the three? Now Josh Hart can get to that corner or get to the baseline and stop Damian Lillard. It's just right now his app isn't letting him be the great player that he is. So I think that's part of the, the, the thing. And yeah, like you, you didn't think that it would negatively affect Dame as much as it would do James Harden, Trey young, but it definitely does because of his injury. Because exactly. That's a really astute observation. I, I don't blame, blame Dame if he's not all in, because like you said, you, you can. Are you on, all in as a fan? Could you yeah. imagine what it is to be the face of this organization absolutely you're like people aren't watching the games could you imagine what it's like to have the the stresses of everything with this franchise that's tough like i I get it and no i I don't blame damien i think that there's a lot of reasons why he's struggling nice one right and uh i think his ab is one of the main reasons yeah, there's there's plenty of things going on. I think there's just a mental burden right now. And like you said, you you bring it up in, in a video game analogy. You're playing playing a tough game. You can probably get up to play one game. Like, I, I think I can really challenge this today. Every day to continue like yeah, maybe, it's rough, maybe, bro. Yeah. 
So I, I, I don't blame Dame. Uh, Kenny Smith also said he doesn't look like he's having fun out there. I, I would agree. No one's that. having fun except Nasir Little and maybe yeah. Ant because he gets a shoot. I, I think there's just too much being put on, on Lillard's plate, and we're not even factoring a pandemic. New father of twins, just got married. He has three kids in general. He basically is the sole provider for his, his family. He's very tight with his family. He's mentioned in the past how – he lets people pour into him. So, you know, he's probably a soundboard for a lot of people and he's the face of this franchise and he's the, one of the faces of the league. Like he has a lot going on. And then you just add in everything that's going on with the organization. And I I think he desperately wants to win in Portland. I, I don't know. I don't know when he's going to maybe realize that it's just not going to happen or if he's just going to be stubborn and just say, it doesn't matter, but it's, I, I, that's why the good was to get rested up because hopefully you can you can fix that. Just just start. If he can put, just get into gear, man, he just needs to be able to blow by ninety percent of the league again. Because the Blazers have no chance with with Damian as he's as he's currently. What performing. do you think he's at? 60 percent. Yeah, he he looks like at, the only at, thing at he's best, good at is playmaking right now. At best, we're getting C minus Dame. C minus Dame and his defensive acumen. He's kind of at a negatives against some players. Given his volume of shooting and not getting to the free throw line, yeah, you have to it, it's, it, it's tough, man. So I think that we have a fan question that kind of the Goldner one. I think I kind of talked about it, but. Yes, we have a, a really good question. Um, and somebody also followed up with their own answer. So I, I will include that as well. First question from. Uh, Brandon Goldner wants to know how much more time are you giving this team before drawing conclusions about their potential as they work out having a new coach and some new players? Uh, Jason Hassler said the all-star break responded, responded to that uh, Sage. Certain players. I I can make a decision now. I I think, I think uh, use of Nurkic should get traded. If Chauncey Phillips is that coach. I mean, so even my thoughts on, on Nurkic, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to be the general manager to give him that contract. I, I would have moved him in, in the summer. You know, honest. it's crazy because you're, because of between the two of us, you were way more trade Yusuf. And I was, I was more like, he's good. We should, but it, with this coach, he cannot, he cannot get that salary. He cannot get that contract with this coach. So we have to make a decision. This coach, or this player. I mean, if we fired Chauncey and let's just say Jacques Vaughn, he's he reminds me of Monty Williams. So that that's good. If Jacques Vaughn can do something with Yusuf, yeah, let's keep him. But if Chauncey Phillips is this coach, I'm I, I want to trade him. I want to trade Robert Covington. And honestly, because of how much I respect Norman Powell, I would trade him too. So the, the the question again was when or how long are you going to give certain players certain times? But uh, I've made my decision on Yusuf. I mean, so also break could... is a good time. I mean before the, before the trade deadline. But I've made my decision on Yusuf. Drawing I just don't see him ever playing more than twenty six minutes. Drawing my conclusions on, on on this team, if I can be honest, you already did it after opening night. Yeah, you already I knew did what it. this team was. 
that this team is who they are. Like I think it's uh, Dennis Green. They are who they thought they are, or who yeah. we thought we were. Mm-hmm. That's that's who the Blazers are. Like you have a new coach coming in. You have Dame, who's clearly inspired after seeing Giannis lead Milwaukee to to a championship. You have the Sacramento Kings coming into your home court. Portland's um, Sacramento, excuse me, is the the owner of the league's longest playoff drought. They haven't made the playoffs since 06. They do not have an all-star on their roster. And you let them come into your gym on opening night with fans. And Harrison Barnes drops a career high and you drop that game. And De'Aaron Fox abuses us. I knew right then and there that this is the same song and dance that we've seen for the past four or five years. They're going to go on streaks. They're going to go on uh, valleys. They're they're going to they're going to be consistently inconsistent. And the the roster is too imbalanced. They're they're too small. There's not enough size up front. Dame does not have a true number two next to him. Hell, we don't really have. You know, we've been told that that Dame, CJ, and Nurk are are this big three. You, you're not going to go anywhere with with that as your big three. I mean, we have to be realistic here. And even, even the, the benefits of seeing Anthony and Nasir uh, kind of thrive and shine are just being outweighed by the fact that there is just nobody else that can take over a game that just has the, the, the gravitas, uh, the, the pull of a Lillard. Like you, you look right now in Los Angeles. Like the Clippers are a team that expects to contend. That They know they're going to be without Kawhi Leonard for, for quite some time but they are all kind of playing together and being led by Paul George. Like they have a second guy who can, can lead a team, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, for 20, 30, 40 games, whatever, like they're, they're expecting to contend. Whenever I listen or watch this Blazers team, I, I don't get the sense that they're playing for something. I, I don't think they're playing for anything other than, Oh, we might win tonight. We might lose tonight. Like there is not this collective buy-in yeah, there's not this, okay, we are going for a championship. So there's no championship talk. There's no, we're going to get to the Western Conference Finals. There, There's just, like, they're just kind of out there just, just doing their thing. I'm not saying that they're they're dogging it. They're definitely trying. But there, there's just, when you play 82 games and you go on these long road trips and you play back-to-backs and four and seven nights, that, that's a grind, mental and physical. And it takes a lot of want. You have to want to win. I don't see the Blazers having a want to win. They, they do that sometimes at home when they get their fans. But on the road, you kind of just see them fold as soon as the team punches them in the mouth. And like I said, I, I, I kind of knew before the season started what this team was going to be. I mean, when your star player says, get me some help, and, and you go out and get Macklemore, Snell, and Cody Zeller, uh, slap in the face. And, and then that, that first performance against Sacramento, I knew it like this team. If they keep Dame, they're going to make the playoffs. The Western conference is bad this year. Like, I don't think. So, I mean, the Western conference is bad this year. I think for the first time in recent memory, the Eastern conference has, has the, they are the beasts of the East. Like the West, I think is uh, kind of rolling on reputation at the, at this point, but you've got, Dallas, who has Luca and, and nobody else. Denver is is banged up and, and they're banged up for the foreseeable future. I mean, Kawhi's still out, LeBron's beat up, and you have 
two of the worst teams in basketball. I'm sorry, your New Orleans Pelicans and Houston Rockets. Uh, nobody is nobody is afraid of the Utah Jazz. Like I, right now, Sage, it's so bad that Portland at six and eight is was still within striking distance of the seven seed. Like they are going to make the play-in at the bare minimum. Like the play-in did the Blazers a huge monumental favor, but I mean, with Minnesota not taking the leap that I expected, San Antonio is clearly going to take a step back after trading uh, and let, excuse me, letting go of all of their veterans. Um, New Orleans has been banged up without Zion. I mean, yeah, if you just look at it, like Oklahoma City right now is five and seven. They're they're the tenth spot. They, they would be in the plan. There is no way. There is no scenario I can envision the Blazers falling below Oklahoma City. So yeah, they're going to make the playoffs, but. I just don't know where it's even if you go to seven like that, I think at this point we've seen this team make the Western conference finals. Anything less than that is like, you, you need to figure something, you need to hit reset or you need to re, or retool reset or retool, not do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's as the same as insanity. Yeah. Who's better Chauncey Phillips or Terry Stotts as a head coach. I would have liked to have seen Terry Stotts coach this year only because he's, he's, he's done shit like this before. I really disliked the way we, we play defense, but I would, I was also aware of the fact that the NBA didn't want teams to play defense. Like it was hard for teams to play. It was an offensively driven league. It would have been interesting to see how the rule changes would have impacted Terry Stotts. Um, even if it wasn't this year, what, whether the rules changed a few years ago, but it would have been interesting to see how Terry would have been able to utilize that. I mean, I think Terry's, or I think Chauncey, excuse me, is facing the same challenges that Terry did. There's just no size on this team. The Blazers' last successful season was when they had a lot of wings like Harkless and, and Aminu, and even Zach Collins could play that four. And they had length to go out there and, and switch and disrupt and fucking stop the ball. Uh, the, the, the roster doesn't have that. And it hasn't had that. I, I think, I think just from a purely, uh, just from a purely uh, personal like choice, I, I would like to see Terry. Cause I think he's, you know, he's a good dude and doesn't come with any baggage and was beloved by, by a lot of people. But I would say early on Chauncey has been the better defensive coach. I mean, I think we're still going to Rogers is the better defensive coach. Possibly. Yes. You know, but again, like how much is it the Blazers change in philosophy versus the, the NBA's allowing them to be a little more physical? Like we're still seeing teams pass the ball in Portland and get the shot they want. I would say offensively uh, day and night, I, I would prefer what, what we were getting from Dame out of the high, high pick and roll. I don't think we made it a, uh, a secret that we didn't like Terry Stotts of, Terry Stotts' schemes. But I liked his rotations a lot better because I could understand them. There were games where if CJ was hot, he would play the Dame rotation and Dame would play the CJ rotation. We don't get that here. There's no adaptation. You know, in 2K, I know you play the 2K uh, uh, my GM thing. You know you can set the rotations and they will do those rotations. That's what Chauncey Billups is doing. 
there's no adaptation in what he's doing. Either it's it's Norm plays 30 minutes, but it's spread out in weird chunks. Like it's I I would go with Terry Stotts. I don't think either are that good. So, no, I think you just you get less baggage, better PR. And ultimately, it's 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 the roster. Um, and speaking of the roster, a piece on the athletic just came out. Actually, I saw it while you were dealing with with your fire alarm. And it seems like Chauncey Billups is alluding to a change in the starting lineup with Robert Covington possibly being the person going to going to the bench. So who, who would start at the four? I was only able to read p- part of the article because it's a paid paid piece, but I, I would assume they would go. <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's not a lot of options, right? Sage, like sure. You can go Larry Nance, but you lose a lot of spacing. That, the, the, yeah. The spacing would be awful. He's even more passive than Covington. You could go small where you lose a lot of your scoring off the bench. Do you think it's and- Tony Snell? Because I, of the shooting, the defense, and not really being a usage guy, it, it could be. But again, it goes back to what were we when we signed Cody Zeller. Portland has two players over six nine that that are in the rotation. That there's just no size out there. So, I think any option right now is like, well, do you want to have to throw up in the morning, or do you want to have like you know really bad runs? Like you're kind of picking. You don't have really great options to pick from. You can't put Larry because of the spacing. You can't quit, quit Cody because both spacing. Yusuf and and uh, Cody could not play together a second. I think it might be it. I don't. Could you put L- Nasir at the four? I feel like that's a for stretches, not the for stretches. Yeah, for not for eight minutes. It, for the first third and fourth, in my, I, 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 if I'm to guess, I think it's Tony Snell. I, I just, I don't think I've been underwhelmed with Covington. I don't think that's the change. I think you have to put Norm at the two. I would bring CJ off the bench, but they're obviously Portland has four small guards. They need to trade two of them, but I think you need to start Nas at the three. You need to get some size in that in that front in that starting five, and you need to let Nas start the game because he's bringing energy. You got to quit falling behind the eight ball, which the team has has done routinely, um, and maybe maybe that's the spark. But I think Covington is the best option as a power forward right now, and that's easily a, easily that's a scary thought if you, if you're a Blazer fan right now, like thinking about like Roko's your, your best guy out there. So um, it's a little rough. Um, Sage, let's take a quick look at the upcoming slate of games for this week. Give me something to watch out for for each of these matchups. Uh, Portland kicks off a four-game homestand. It is a back-to-back for the Blazers. They are facing the Toronto Raptors, uh, a team that has actually been waiting in Portland since Saturday. They will play the game Monday. So it's a schedule advantage for the, the visitors from uh, Canada, Toronto is actually surprisingly good mm-hmm. uh, on the road, five and one, uh, and they are seven and seven on the season. So that should tell you all you need to know there. Then Portland gets a matchup against 
the Chicago Bulls. I believe they will not have a Nikola uh, Vucevic. Yeah, because he's in the health and safety. Health and safety protocols. They get the Sixers on Saturday. It is I Joel Embiid's estimated return is the 18th, so he should be back by the 20th. But it again is a team that that beat Portland shorthanded um, in Philadelphia earlier this month, and then. Portland gets the Denver Nuggets. I believe that will be a national televised game. Oh on boy, TV. we get to watch that. Um, will Barton, will he play? He did have some lower back tightness. Uh, he is a huge spark off the bench for, for the Nuggets, but you should expect no MPJ and obviously no Jamal Murray. So with these four games, let's kick it off with the Raptors. Uh, it'll be Gary Trent's uh, return to Rip City. Uh, this is a young young team that's just now got Pascal Siakam back. What should the Blazers uh, look out for? I mean, is I mean, I, it's it's Jalen Green and Kate Cunningham are getting the 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 media highlights, but Scotty Barnes has been the best rookie this year. It's it's Scotty Barnes and Josh Giddy are the two. Oh, Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, and Josh Giddy have been the three best players. So it's got to be that. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with the wings with OG, Scotty, and Pascal Siakam. Um, uh, right now, Fred Van Fleet is playing a lot worse than people expected. His uh, his assist rate is a lot lower because of Scotty Barnes' playmaking. So we have to make sure that he doesn't have a ceiling game against us, even though he probably will. There isn't a dominant post player on that team, so that's good, but they got wings and guards for days, so pass it two times and the Blazers lose focus. So I don't know who's going to have the ceiling game, but somebody's going to have the ceiling game. I bet it's going to be a remember me game by Gary Trent if I was to be a betting man. So in their, they had a really tough loss to the Detroit Pistons on Saturday at home. Jeremy Grant went apeshit. He did. Uh, Fred Van Vliet did not play. Uh, Toronto went with an extremely small lineup starting uh, Drogic and GT in the backcourt. And then their forwards were their three through five. They had Pascal, OG, and Scotty Barnes. Uh, every starter played at least 28 minutes. And I feel like this is a game where the Blazer guards could be put in the torture chamber. I mean, we're talking... OG is one of the, the premier perimeter defenders. Scotty Barnes is already starting to assert himself. Gary Trent Jr. at least puts a, a damn good effort out there. And you've got Pascal Siakam who can kind of rotate and play that play that free safety. We know Portland doesn't really like to give up, uh, to just drop the ball in the post and, and give it to Nurkic. But if they're going to go small and you're going to go somewhat big, I think Portland would at least have to look at that and see if there's, see if there's water in, in that well. But it'll be interesting to see if Damian Lillard plays or not. Uh, it'd be really odd if he just took one game off. Uh, but regardless, I, I think this is going to be a, a tougher matchup than maybe most expect. Yeah, I mean, how many national TV games has Toronto been on? So they've been kind of ever since the weird bubble year where they couldn't play at home. It's kind of been like people assume they suck, but they're a really well-coached team. They have talented players everywhere. I, I, man, this is kind of the perfect time for Toronto to get a get right game against us. So I, somebody's on that team is just going to 
dominate us. I just don't know who it is. Then you have the Chicago Bulls coming into Portland for a November game, which seems just like tradition. Every year the Bulls play Portland in November, it seems like, and the the Bulls might be back. It, it's been 23 years since they've really been relevant. Maybe there's some uh, symbolism in, in that number and how long it's been, but they are 9-4 and four on the season, half game out of the top record in the Eastern Conference, 4-2 and two on the road. And even without Vucevic, even without Patrick Williams, their second-year player who's out probably for the year with, with a wrist injury, they are getting incredible production from that backcourt. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan just went off. Yeah, he's been awesome this points year. On 12 of 16, he has fit like an absolute glove. Sage, this is a team with Lonzo Ball as well that just has size for days, seems like it could be Portland's kryptonite. Oh, absolutely. You look at all of those properly sized guards and wings, and who's, is it Tony Bradley? They're starting yes, center Tony now. Bradley has been getting the start with Vucevic out in the COVID protocols. And I think Code, Kobe White's back too. I don't know how big of a deal that is, but. He didn't play tonight. I mean, shoot, it's it, it, that it's going to be tough for the Blazers to really match up size wise, like who cards Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan from our small war chest of uh, players. It's like Nas can't guard them all. So, I, I mean, I guess it's forced Lonzo to shoot, forced DeMar to shoot. Hope Zach Levine has a fucking floor game and, uh, I guess abuse Tony Bradley in the post, even though he's a capable backup center. Um, they just played really good ball and uh, look competent. So, is it it's at home, right? So yeah, we have a next, chance. These next four are at home. Yeah, we have a chance. But if I was a betting man, I would go pretty hard with Chicago just because they've been playing what better and the momentum is on their side because we we just took an L. So. It, it takes a lot while to get that forward momentum going. Will also be a return game for Derek Jones Jr., who is now in the rotation without Williams, without uh, Vucevic. So maybe we'll get a highlight dunk from the former slam dunk champion. I mean, I I, I hate to uh, you know be like a record on repeat, but this is another performance where Portland has an advantage down low with Yusuf Nurkic. Are you going to get good Nurk? Are you going to get bad Nurk? It's just the way the roster is constructed. That's where the advantage is. And again, who, who knows if we'll have Damian Lillard or not, but if he does play Portland could have an advantage off the bench. So bench players tend to play better at home. It could be a game where the, the bench uh, really feeds off. Caruso has been a huge signing for the, the bulls just def- defensively. He's been a hound as well. Up next will be the Philadelphia 76ers, a team that's kind of, I think the the reality of the situation is starting to uh, put its impact on the 76ers. They've lost four straight games. The Ben Simmons drama is still being drug out. Uh, They just got Tobias Harris back from health and safety protocols. As we mentioned, Joel Embiid has been in health and safety protocols. So not a lot of consistency from Philadelphia uh, they did, however, didn't uh, impact them when they they played the Blazers because uh, they handled us 113. Seth Curry was awesome. Uh, your boy Tyrese Maxey has been playing some really good basketball. 
and they've played, they've lost three, three of the last four games that have been at home. They've lost. So you're going to get a grumpy team coming into your gym. And that's, that's not always the best thing to do. Um, they do, they are on a road trip, which is beneficial for Portland. They kicked it off with a loss at Indiana on Saturday. They play Utah on Tuesday and Denver on Thursday before Portland on Saturday. So, the, I mean, this is a mammoth trip and they still have two games after Portland. So um, if you're going to catch Philadelphia, now is the time. But if, but if MB plays, I think that is the clear game changer. I mean, we won't Yusuf will play 24 minutes against Jojo or uh, uh, Dre Drummond. So it, it doesn't, we're going to get beasts in the pose regardless, bro. <clears throat> I would say the big, biggest impact is Andre Drummond. He's kind of had a revitalization year in, in Philadelphia. Like he's filling up the stat sheet. He was so key in that victory for the 76ers. I can't remember the last time he had seven assists and he had five steals. Like he, he was everywhere. He was on on triple double watch and this was a game like you mentioned i think seth curry and furcon Korkmaz really kind of set the table for how the game was going to be played uh they shared the basketball without those superstars on the floor 34 dimes on 43 made field goals that's been a reoccurring theme with this blazer defense is is if you pass the ball around portland can't defend at a high level for more than 10 to 12 seconds you're going to get a good look and that's where Portland tends to struggle is when teams make them work. Mm. So what I was saying before I coughed my uh, lungs up was Tyrese and uh, Tyrese and uh, wow, Tobias don't really play a lot separately, but with them only having two good players, really two ball handlers, it's, it would be, I don't think that they would play a second without one of those alphas on the court. I I just don't know how we defend Tobias Harris on this with this team. I think that he could have a ceiling game. Obviously, we don't really have a lockdown player right now, so Tyrese could have it. But I, I, the player that I think could have another ceiling game against us is Seth Curry. He's just been playing so well and shooting so well. Going against the Blazers is just like a a vacation for a sharpshooter like Seth. So I, I I'm nervous, man. These guards can shoot and drive, so they're gonna make us work. So if JoJo comes back, I I would be very scared. But Trey Drummond puts up stats and he's inspired. Like he took a minimum contract. He's one of the best rebounders of our generation. That that money will humble you. He's gotten kicked in the nuts enough. He's ready to try and compete. And Portland uh, finishes this homestand on Tuesday. TNT game against the Denver Nuggets, a team that Portland is fighting for in the division. It is a rivalry game. It is a, it's a game that could probably make or break the tiebreaker because you probably don't expect to win in the Mile High City again. So you want to protect home court you're going up against a team that just shot 19 of 40 from downtown damn near 50 percent that's where the game was was really won Jokic almost had a triple double looked like the best player on the floor because he was the best player on the floor and putting Cody Zeller on on Nicole Jokic was just so bad 
It's so unfair. I mean, I, I, Jokic would just go into the paint, just kind of not shove him because it wasn't an offensive foul, but just like move him, just moved him out with his body and, and put mm-hmm. it up. And it was a completely legal play. But when you got so much weight and size on a player, it just. It, it's so unfair. Yusuf needs to match him. If he doesn't match him, we're going to lose every second. I know that he isn't the uh, most consistent player, but size is a factor. Yusuf can at least take some of the punishment that Jokic gives out. He needs to match him in minutes. And he was close. It was a six-minute rotation where it really stopped him from getting 27. Cody Zeller can't guard him. Maybe he should be in when they go with green and green, like when they put the bench unit in. We just don't have enough bigs and we don't have enough talent defensively. It It's not fun watching this team. And this is going to be a national TV so everybody can see our deficiencies. Yeah, I mean, the, the constant theme that you hear from this, this upcoming slate of games is use of Nurkic will, will be the key. And I think that's a scary thought if you are a, a Blazer fan banking on an inconsistent player to always have to be the X factor because he has the ability to be so good and so dominant. Bubble Nurk was fantastic, but then you also get Nurkic who struggles around the rim or turns the ball over. Or, or, or what, whatever it is, like you're just not getting the type of reduction you need from somebody touted as, as a member of your team's big three. So I think this week more than anything is going to be really telling because you're, you're playing difficult teams at home. You've been dominant at home. How do you rebound after, you know, basically coming home off of a road trip with your tail between your legs. Is this going to be a season where you just win at home and lose on the road? Or how are you going to look when you play? How's the body language going to look? Uh, I think the cloud over this franchise is is not ready to lift quite yet. So what do they do? Like, I I think three and one is is a minimum that that this team needs to, to end this homestand with. So we lose the Bulls. I don't know who they who they lose to. I'm not really making any any predictions that this year. But I, if you're looking at the schedule, I think you have. If you're being this poor on the road, I mean, you you almost have, the, the way Portland is setting up is like they almost have to be perfect at home. Man, being perfect is kind of what we're asked to be with some shitty rotations and some shitty uh, coaching decisions. Because I mentioned earlier that there is light at the end of the tunnel, given the the fifteen seven home road split to end the calendar year. But if that means there's a lot of road games at the end, though. Yes, that that is a, a very good point. But also, if you don't come out and play well in your home games, there are some road games in this stretch, and there's three following this homestand. You've got Sacramento. You've got Golden State, who's been the best team in, in the NBA. Then you have Utah, which is just uh, just a, a house of horrors to go into and get a victory. And once the wheels start to spiral and start to fall off, it doesn't matter who you have or where you're playing. It's just going to go downhill in a hurry. So Portland is really struggling, I think, to, to stay above water right now. And, and any little slight 
loss, even at home, could could maybe cause that ship to come crashing down. Do we see Dan this week? That I I I couldn't. I would not feel confident in making any sort of prediction. Do we win a game without Dan? Yeah, they'll, they'll win. I don't know who. <laughs> they will win a game without Dan. Yeah, it, it's just hard to say because like they, they look so good at home, but then they just like the Indiana game. The Pacers went into Utah and handed handed the Jazz their lunch. That that was a good victory over Indiana, but Portland was lucky that they had hot Rocco that night and he bailed them out because Indiana came yeah, back. Yeah, the zone buster. We so couldn't break a two three. Portland just they're not able to put together a 48 minute game. It's it's a lot, it's a sometimes it's a bad stretch and then really good, and they kind of fumble the back or or they do just enough. Like they're just not able to put it all together and tie it with a bow and say, this was my performance for the day. Inconsistency is the consistency for uh, the Blazers right now. And and it's rough. And and I think you're seeing a lot of fans just kind of throw their arms up in the air and say, what, what else can we do? Because Portland is in the worst possible position that you want your franchise to be in. You're, You're not, even good enough, I would say, to be a top eight, top ten team. And you're too good to suck. And yeah, you're you're just not down there with with the Rockets or Pistons getting those Pelicans, yeah. getting yeah. those you know chance at the kid from Duke, Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga. Like you don't really have those chances at getting a game changer. So you're just running it back. You're in that same spot, and it's 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 no fun. And well, we've been, we've we've talked about it like for forever. We have to pick a side of where we want to be. Do we want to be good or do we want to be bad? We haven't made that decision. Hopefully, in the next week, we do make the decision of who is going to be the general manager and president of basketball operations for this team. I know we're 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 removed from even making the decision between rebuild and retool. Like we we don't have a guy in charge to even say, yeah, we should do this or that. We have, we're, we're, we're even a step removed from that. So, I mean, it's. I, I don't trust. Uh, whoever's that new general manager is going to have to make some real shitty decisions, man. And that, that. They can either win it like Der- uh, like Griff with the AD and Drew Holiday trades, even though he fumbled the bag by trading a first for Steven Adams. Or you can do what the Rockets did with James Harden. <clears throat> a lot of things to think about. There's just a lot of shit going on. So if, if you listen, thank you so much. We'll be here every week. I don't know how much the topics are going to change, but we'll be here every week. I'll be here by candlelight, uh, Sunday night special. You don't look like Jesus anymore. No. I mean, that was just maybe that was just special. <laughs> well, you, you turned into Jesus when there was – Potential Neil O'Shea firing news. We have to wait an yeah, entire week. I mean, for it's it. so bad. I've got a couple of people on notifications. So whenever I see that that fucking blue bird icon on my phone, I've, I just I look. I'm like Neil. Neil's not yet. It's gonna be a good day. Have some respect for your team ownership and general manager. What's that? We need to have respect for our team. But I am excited to go to the PK Invitational with you on Tuesday. Watching yeah, Oregon. And BYU going to get some good food beforehand. Is there and any then, superstars on the Ducks this year? 
I know they've got 17. a really nice uh, senior point guard, uh, Will Richardson. He's got nice lefty. He can hit the step back. He can finish in traffic. Uh, I, I think he's got, I think he can play his way into the first round. Very tall team. A uh, few six eleven seven footers, young team, but big. Um, it's a Dana Altman special. Uh, a lot of transfers, but they've actually been playing better early on than they typically do. I mean, they they're locking teams down. They got good defense. Um, they actually have uh, former Duck, but also former Indiana Pacer Joe Young. Uh, his younger brother Jacob transferred in, so it's kind of cool to see that. Um, yeah, it's just Dana Altman works his magic every year. It's almost like he's dealt a new hand and they come together. So it'll be interesting to see. I think BYU is predicted to go to the tournament as well. Um, but I, I'm excited. I watched uh, the end of the UCLA Villanova game. Uh, it was great to see Polly Pavilion uh, rocking there. Bill Walton was in attendance. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a fun college season. The name and likeness rules are really going to impact uh, players not just going to the G League or overtime elite or all of that stuff or or even skipping altogether, but you know coming and playing and whether they want to stay one or two years. But I think that's uh, going to help the league or going to help college basketball. Like now that these players can profit off of their name and and their likeness, and hopefully we can have some college football games. Oh, I, I've been I've been down so bad waiting for a new NCAA football that I've been playing. For the past two months, NCA 03 with Joey Harrington on the cover. Jesus. For PlayStation 2. Oh yeah. It, it's it's a blast. I love that shit. Well, I don't think you could I don't think you could get an NCAA like 14. They're like 150 bucks. Yeah, it's it's a hot commodity. Yeah. So I get it. Uh <laughs> yeah, I get it, bro. Um I'm I'm just lucky that N, uh, NBA 2K is fantastic this year. Right. Wrap this, uh, yeah. bad boy up. Let's wrap this bad boy up. <laughs> We're available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays 2 to 3 uh, Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern. And uh, like and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much, and we out. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!